1: Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA member FDIC.
0: Our lives are not our own. From womb to tomb, we are bound to others.
1: Past and present. And by each crime, and every kindness, we birth our future. Hello everyone, welcome back to the Underrated Movie Podcast. This is a podcast where we discuss films that are underrated, underappreciated, and ones that have slipped under the radar. Today, we're going to be talking about the 2012 film Cloud Atlas, uh, written and directed by the Wachowskis and Tom Twilliker, based on the 2004 novel by David Mitchell. I am your host, Derek McDuff, and joining me today is a special guest co-host, the long-awaited return of one Mr. Alan Torres. Alan, how's it going, man?
0: Hey, what's up, man? Thank you so much for having me back. Hey, everybody, how's it going? Hope everybody's doing well. See a lot of changes around here. What's going on?
1: <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. it's good to have you back, man. It's 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 exciting to to hear your voice on the on the pod again. Uh, so thanks for thanks for you know uh, stepping away from your hiatus and and uh, returning to the show and talking about this one that we had actually been meaning to talk about for a while uh mm-hmm. so i was like let, let me get alan back on here because i know you and i had kicked it around for for a while wanting to talk about this one going back to when we were talking about all those big swing movies but yeah you know uh, for anyone who's not aware like i said this is a i don't even know what genre to call it because it's basically six genres because it's six interlocking stories directed by the wachowski siblings and tom twilliker uh, and they basically needed two teams to direct those uh, six interlocking stories. Uh, and I'll just say some of the cast here. who And all of these cast members play two to six parts. Uh, Tom Hanks, Halle Berry, Jim Broadbent, Hugo Weaving, Jim Sturgis, Duna Bay, Ben Wishaw, James, Darcy, Jojun, Keith David, Susan Sarandon, and Hugh Grant. Um, and if that's not a star-studded cast, I don't know what is. But yeah, Alan... What i uh, we'll go to you first. What do you What do you think of this one?
0: Uh, I remember I saw this when it came out, and it was nice to rewatch it because when I first saw it, I was a little like I got the I feel like the ending. I was like, all right, I get it, but I feel like there was just so much going on. There was so much like it was it's such a fast paced movie, especially clocking in at like almost three hours, like literally just a couple minutes shy, and. I I enjoyed it when I saw it, but I kind of had this like, I need to rewatch this because I I can't give it an absolute 100% my complete review on it. So watching it this time around, I was like, cool. Like I got it now was able to take it all in a lot better, especially where there's like, I feel like on the second time, the second viewing, the pacing is much better. Like, I feel Mm -hmm. like you're, you take everything in a lot easier. You appreciate all the characters and all the. I know people aren't fans of the makeup, but I will say there was times where like the makeup was pretty good, and then obviously there was the times you know neo soul makeup is a little rough at times. um Totally understand that recently <laughs> but no, for the most part I really dug it, and, and I don't know. I feel like I'm very shocked that it didn't do as well. As it did back then, I feel like nowadays it might do a lot better, especially with a lot of movies being super a lot longer now. Now it's kind of be going into vogue of like longer films. You know, like uh, Martin Scorsese has a couple of movies that are like almost clocking at three hours. I think. Yeah, *Killers of the, the is Flower is Moon* like...
1: is three and a half. It's out there in right
0: now. I was about to say that one. I think it's like yeah, three and a half. *Irishman* is what like four mm-hmm. hours. Yeah. Yeah. So there you go and yeah i really dug it a lot i love that some of the actors played i think one of my favorite roles was hugh grant playing like the uh tribesman or whatever like the
1: oh the the warriors, cannibal guy
0: the cannibals yeah like that yeah. shit was sick i i like that some actors you got to finally see him in like slightly different roles mm-hmm. than usual because hugh grant i feel like 90 percent of his like filmography is just him being like a romantic dude or just like a kind of scummy british guy sometimes and then this it's like it's cool to see him like a cannibal and he's just different all the makeup and everything he looks super fucking rad where i was like dude that's awesome and then tom hanks trying his best at a british accent or scottish accent every now and again where i was like okay cool i mean they can all be bangers but hey man you got six characters so better than good. any
1: accent he did in elvis or pinocchio i'll say that
0: i haven't seen pinocchio been wanting to but i've been a little nervous about it it's
1: but... bad it's bad it's, it's really bad <laughs> this, the zemeckis one is 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 don't watch it
0: <laughs> how did he do man zemeckis <laughs> was on top of the world at one point and with this i'm like god damn dude but i don't know the disney live actions are a whole fucking thing yeah <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, no, Doug, I like the story. I I feel like I'm not gonna lie. I feel like I still might need to watch it one more time, just to get because I feel I won't. I think the beginning of the film just goes it like it, it lands on the ground running, and it kind of doesn't let you breathe for a little while. I think not till like the hour mark, that first hour mark, you're like. <gasps> okay all right it's (laughs) slowing down a little bit all right you're trying to get your bearings and everything but then the pacing gets better i think it just it needs to do that at first but it's such a huge film like like you said it is a massive swing of a film it's trying to do six stories in three hours and even then i feel like it probably needed like two more hours maybe (laughs) even three or, or three more yeah like i mean you know what I I will say I was talking to my girlfriend about it. She was a huge fan of Sense8. Hmm. And I feel like Sense8, you know, unfortunately got canceled and all that. She was a big fan of it. I never really saw much of it. But she said that she was like, this was what I think they were trying to do with Cloud Atlas. And I feel like Cloud Atlas was probably them figuring it out. And then just Sense8 was just so much easier because they kind of have similar, you know, themes, you know, with like, it's not multiple lives in Sensei, but it's like multiple people and different lives in a way and interpreting it kind of thing. So, yeah, I, I really appreciate what they were trying to do with this movie. Because, like, I want to see more things like this nowadays, more where they're like, fuck it, dude, let's, let's just try something wild like this. Like, the, the I don't even know how big the budget was, but, like, because at one point, it's like a sci-fi epic, and then it's just, like, You know, an ocean epic and then at another point it's like wilderness I mean obviously, but it's just so impressive in scale, like when you think about it.
1: Yeah, I think it was about a hundred million dollar budget on this one, which makes it one of the most like Yeah, like it's one of the most expensive independent or maybe like one thirty closer to that, but it's either way, it's one of the most expensive independent films ever made. And there kept being points when they were like, We're gonna run out of money. And basically like Tom Hanks would be like, Hold on, let me just call these people and like the Wachowskis would be like, are we going to be, be able to film today? And they were like, wait, wait, we got some more. We got an infusion of some other money. We can keep going. And that was something that ha- regularly happened.
0: Um, Hanks just fucking puts puts a mustache on, goes to Disney, and he's like, I'm back. It's me, Walt. I need some money <laughs> for some, some picture I'm working on. And they're like, oh, fuck. oh, Walt's back, guys. All right, here you go. It's Mr. It- Banks
1: himself. <laughs> exactly. No, but... You know, you you really said it. Like, I think this movie is probably one of the most ambitious films ever made. It just in in terms of its massive, intense scope. And yeah, that beginning, because it basically has to introduce you to six storylines that are on the surface, not connected at all, but are actually very connected. And the way you just kind of have to keep going with that, because they have to like be like, all right, here's these guys, here's these guys, here's these guys. And you have to take in so much information, so many characters. And I think that the way this film is edited makes that so much more palatable because it it is really clipping back and forth between them. And I think the score also does a lot of heavy lifting. It doesn't ever feel like the score is like, well, now it's going to sound like ocean-y and now it's going to sound sci-fi. It's all kind of part of a piece. And then having, of course, the actors playing all those different roles really helps you feel... Like you're not getting any tonal whiplash despite there being complete tonal differences between each story because you'll have stuff like, you know, you'll have an actor saying something and then it'll cut to them in a completely different time period as a completely different person. And you under your brain kind of clicks it and connects it. And thematically, a lot of those moments are connected. You know, one I remember seeing uh, early on is the probably gonna mispronounce his name, uh, David Gaiasi uh who you know he plays uh the slave character in the Pacific Island storyline and he's playing like a captain of this futuristic ship on the ocean in the post-apocalyptic timeline and I'm like that's just a cool moment that it tr- it's like yeah just seeing the way that they are able to weave all of these things together i think was really just they were just going for it and i think even if mm-hmm. the film hadn't succeeded I think like it would still be like massively impressive. But for me, it really did succeed And me. Like, cause I watched this thing in theaters multiple times. Cause I kept, I was at a theater at the time, working at a theater at the time. And I kept being like, I have to go back. I have to catch like every little thing. I have to figure out how this is all connected. And at a certain point I'm like, Oh, are they, like, cause in the book, apparently like, you know, the, the, there's the star that is like, or the comet that is, they all have birthmarks. It's like, okay, maybe that oh, yeah, the, the character is like a reincarnation, you know? The, um, the
0: Jojo scar, the Jojo's Bizarre Adventure scar. The whole time I kept thinking about Jojo's because <laughs> that's a similar thing in the anime where like they have like a star right here mm-hmm. on the back of their neck and like, because it's over generations of time. So I kept looking at that and I was just like, everything's a fucking Jojo reference at this point now but yeah sorry go on
1: no but and then you know so so but that doesn't always completely line up in the same thing with like characters playing or actors playing different characters like nothing really lines up completely so you're like oh it's it's kind of reincarnation but it's kind of just saying just generally like everyone is always connected like these mm-hmm. and that's one thing they turn they keep turning back to and keep there's all these great monologues there's like two or three in the film where they are just like these things that we think divide us, these boundaries, they're all just made of bullshit. These hierarchies that have existed throughout history and will exist in some form probably in the future, they just need to come down. They're all nonsense. And I and you mentioned the makeup and, you know, especially in the new Neo Soul section, I, I totally understand why people are like, this is not cool. Um, mm-hmm. But I think that, and, you know, so if, like that doesn't work for people. I, I get it, but like, I think the reason it's so important and impactful to have all these characters doing all this stuff is because it's just saying that like, these distinctions that we make are just not, they're just, they don't matter. These boundaries, these lines that we draw in the sand, that's like, you're this, you're this, you're this, whether it's like ethnicity, or gender, or religion, or upbringing, or whatever, they're all just, and and I think it really, like, you know, Halle Berry talked about uh, in shooting this movie and by the way Halle Berry who is in every single one she's one of the uh, two or three actors that is in all parts you know she plays her characters names are Native Woman uh, in the first storyline uh, she's Jocasta Ayers uh, Louisa Ray uh, then Indian Party Guest is the uh, what she's identified as in the credits in the London 2012 sequence ovid who is that older korean guy with like the robotic eye yeah
0: dude yeah mm-hmm. i i waited for the credits again because credits show oh, you who they really play yeah. and i was like fuck i didn't like even this time around i was like that was her or that mm-hmm. like yeah. Susan Sarandon as well played like a, a male character and um i can't remember who else but yeah sorry go ahead
1: yeah and then you know of course you know you have hugo weaving playing miss noakes and you know the then oh, she yeah. plays yeah yeah and there's there's a few of those, you know, like uh, Ben Wisheshaw plays Georgette, who's you know the the person that uh, the older the wife of um, Cavendish, Cavendish's uh, sister-in-law, I should say that he had the affair with. That's Ben Wishaw, and so there's a lot that,
0: of. That's the one where Hugh Grant puts the guy in the old people home, right?
1: Yeah, exactly. That was so, the,
0: dude. I fucking i i i didn't see her. The I didn't see him as her for the mm-hmm. first time. But, like, when he's laying in bed and he's, like, he sends his wish, he sends his love, or whatever, right after he, like, like, trapped him into the old folks' home. And I was like, who the fuck is that? And then in the credits when I showed him, I was like, of course that fucker looks gorgeous as a woman, too. (laughs) I'm not gonna lie, after was it Casino Royale? Or Quantum of Solace? Oh, yeah, yeah. When he first shows up as Q, as Kuramasa, I remember I was like, that guy is gorgeous. Like, I kind of have a bit of a Guy yeah, crush on him. So when I saw him in the I credits, I was like, oh my fucking God, look at him again. <laughs> he's still hot, but yeah. yeah.
1: And I, I just, I love that moment when he's like, you know, it's the 70s version of him and he's just been like listening to this, the Cloud Atlas Quartet that was written by him like in the 30s, like the other character played by him in the 30s.
0: Oh yeah, duh, it doesn't even click, that's right.
1: And there's there's so much stuff like that. And some of it's characters, some of it's stuff like, a lot of stuff will, they'll show you, like, earlier on, like, the thing where uh, they see the um, the clip from the movie that would eventually be adapted uh, into the harrowing affair of Timothy, Timothy Cavendish or whatever it's called. And mm-hmm. they just see that one clip and it's, like, Tom Hanks playing the part. And then you see the actual line as it happened, like, later on. And it's it, – there's a lot of, like, call forwards almost. And mm-hmm. like one that I really uh, stuck with was the little, the button, which, you know, was like, there was like the the thing that Tom Hanks is trying to steal from the uh, Adam Ewing in, Jim you know, Sturgis, Jim Sturgis. Right? Yeah. In the, in the first one, he steals that button. And then that button actually comes back. He finds it at the, in the last segment, he's, that's what he makes into his little necklace. And that's finally what, when he finally breaks free at the end, it's, it pops off and he's kind of finally, you know, the, that thing that harkens back to him being this evil character that was trying to steal us. And he is finally able to lose that. I think that was such a cool moment. But going back to what I was saying, like Halle Berry. Ba- oh, also, real oh, fast, yeah, yeah.
0: the button, because mm-hmm. Tom Hanks plays the publisher's character in a movie.
1: Yes. Right? Yeah. yeah and
0: yeah. if you think about it, when when the old people are trying to leave, the old folks, when they when they steal the Range Rover, they're trying to figure out how to escape. How do they escape? They figure out the button. Yeah, there you go. So there you go. Yeah, you're right. It's all like connected. (laughs) And yeah, holy shit. God damn. Yeah. So I need to rewatch it again.
1: Because yeah, I watched it. I watched it a couple nights ago, and then I watched it again. Just like you know, an hour ago, I finished it because there's so much stuff. Like you can't possibly get all of it. And Mm -hmm. and then to you know go back to what I was saying about Halle Berry, and then you know, of course, the last part she plays is the. Character of her name is uh uh Marinum, uh who is, you know, she's like one of those like future people that floats around on the boats that comes to the island or whatever. Mm-hmm. She talked about like she's like, yeah, these I would never get to play a lot of these parts. And you know, so that's I think that's so cool. It's like, oh yeah, she's all these characters, like the boundaries of just, oh yeah, you can be this, but you can't be this. Like you ha- you have all of these characters doing all these things, and it's just showing that yeah, we are all humans. These boundaries that we put up are completely made up, and I think it's it's very telling that this comes from the Wachowskis, who are both trans women. You know, like they mm-hmm. are kind of like these boundaries of gender that we've been put into are bullshit. Uh, and they trans and it's interesting because at the time of filming, uh, one of them, uh, I believe it was Lily, had transitioned, but Lana had not yet. I might be mixing that up. I think but, it's um,
0: reverse. I think okay, Lana came first, and then it was Lily.
1: Okay, I want so yeah, to say that, that was, and so you know I think that's very telling that it is coming from these two directors who have had this experience, you know, and all right, and because that that you know the book is is also like where it's all these different interlocking stories. The book is kind of done like a Russian nesting doll where like the first chapter and the last chapter are like the Adam Ewing one, and then like the sec the la- the second and second last are like the the thirties one, and it kind of like goes to like the the, um, they, they're like
0: bookends pretty much
1: yeah like the mo- the the middle chapter is the only one that's like not split in half and that's the one with top, the true true you know and all that oh so
0: when you finish so, I want to get to that
1: <laughs> but um so they, it really was really difficult to adapt. And, you know, it's something that, you know, I haven't actually ever, I don't think, mentioned this on the show. I've mentioned it, you know, like you in real life before. But, you know, like me being non-binary, it was something that I was just like, yeah, all these conventions. that I, Because that's one thing I always think of is just like, I fucking think gender norms are so dumb and it's all bullshit. And so that was something that, you know, really resonated with me watching it recently. Something I didn't even think about back the first time I watched it. But uh, it really affected me in that matter. But yeah, what, what did you want to say about the Truth true?
0: Oh, man. So you said this was written by the Wachowskis, and then I think it was like Tom...
1: Tom Twilker, yeah, who also Tom did... Pro... People know him from Run, Little, Run. It's probably mm-hmm. his most famous thing. He's a German guy.
0: Well, there, I think there was a secret writer in this. Okay. I think he focused on that part, the, the, go, um, the Tom Hanks like mm-hmm. island goat herder. And his name, I think, is Frank Miller. because it finally fucking dawned on me to the first time i saw this movie i was like what is this fucking like dialect sound so fucking familiar and i couldn't figure it out then and then when i watched it again it's when they said true true and it Mm -hmm. finally clicked and i was like these fuckers talk like the mutants and the dark knight returns and i couldn't (laughs) i they finally fucking blew my mind up and i was just like these people evolved from the mutants, from the Dark Knight Returns. That's going to be my headcanon. Somehow, <laughs> some fucking shit happened because they sound like the mutant leader and then they sound like the two... I don't know if you've ever read it or watched the animated I films. I have no. Go fucking watch uh, part one and part two. Phenomenal fucking films. I mean, it's one of the greatest graphic novels of all time anyways. But go and watch them when you get the chance and fucking tell me. That they don't sound exactly the same, especially <laughs> there's these two mutant guys, mm. I forgot their name was like Bob and some shit. And they just talked like that, they're like, the bat ain't around here, that's no way, that's not true, true. Hey <laughs> man, you can't be talking skizzin' like that or whatever the fuck and they're doing that shit. And I was like, oh my god, this is all Dark Knight fucking returns dude. So Yeah, that that had me fucking dying, right? When I had that like <laughs> that, that that clarity came in, I was like <gasps> this is the Dark Knight Returns future right here. But <laughs> <laughs> anyways, just, you know, I hope your listeners listen, pick up on that and be like, oh my God, he's right. But yeah, <laughs> I just had to say it, dude. It was fucking cracking me up. I was like, oh my God, that's what it is. And the mutant leader too, when he's like fights Batman in the mud, he talks the same fucking way too. He's like, you cousin, bro, or fucking uh, I'm going to give you an assy whooping or whatever the fuck they talk. <laughs> I just was <laughs> like, oh man. But yeah, that that had me dying. But anyway, sorry. Continue.
1: Yeah, no. Uh, well, I just I we, I usually don't break down plot here, and I'm not definitely not going to break down the entire plot of this movie because that would be insane and ridiculous. But I do want to at least because I mentioned the six stories, and I at least want to I touched on them earlier, but I want to say what they are. And those are and these are also like, let's see. Yeah, the the names of the the chapters in the books titles because basically each uh, and th- this is the that's the uh, the convention of the book, but it's also something that happens in here where each one they're like reading or like watching something from the past, from the past storyline. So each timeline is there. Like, you know, in the first one, he's reading the diary of the the guy from the the earlier time or, and then Louisa Ray, she's, she, her story gets turned into like a mystery novel and Jim Broadbent's reading that. We already talked about like how his thing gets turned into a movie. And then uh song me, her whole thing becomes this huge Basically, thing that almost founds a religion. She ha- helps to. It's like a uh, replicant esque figures, uh, kind of like help overturn the this world order. But uh, so it's the Pacific Journal of Adam Ewing, uh, Letters from Zeldheim Half Lies, the first Louisa Ray mystery, uh, the ghastly ordeal of Timothy Cavendish,
0: <laughs>
1: Orison of me Four Five One, and. Slush's Crossing and Everything After uh, are the uh four, or this, sorry, the six um kind of storylines that interweave back and forth here. But yeah, so, hey. oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. What were you going to say? Oh, no,
0: I was just going to say, I always wanted to read the book. I, I remember always seeing it when we worked together. And mm-hmm. I always kind of passed by, but that's a huge book. So I was kind of like, eh, you know.
1: Yeah, yeah, I I tried to read it a while back. It's pretty dense and it's pretty, it's not an easy read. And I thought about trying to read it again in anticipation of this podcast, but I just was like, I just ran out of time. I did not have time to read that book because it's, it's it's written like Dracula, you know, where like how Dracula is like, here's letters and stuff like that. It's the same yeah. thing where it's like, it's, all, it's you know all these different traditions and stuff like that. And yeah, that being, you know, the kind of conceit of both the book and the movie, I think really lends itself well to the kind of, Way saying that everyone is interconnected, and and that one of the it's one of the last lines of the movie. It's the last one before that kind of little epilogue that you get, where he talks about just being a drop in. He, he was like, "Nothing you do will amount to more than a drop in the ocean." He's like, "Well, what is uh, an ocean if not just a a large amount of drops or whatever?" Mm-hmm. Uh, I can't remember the exact line, but you know, it's kind of saying that like these little things that we do have huge, huge replications that when multiply, it's like the butterfly effect, like over the years, like you influence one person and then they influence somebody else. And it just goes down the line. So with talking about all these different parts, these different time periods, these different story settings, which one, did you have a favorite one?
0: Um, hmm. I don't think I had a favorite one. I think I kind of liked the, the chaos of it all. Like I, yeah. I kind of, I don't know, maybe maybe it's because we have been so accustomed. Maybe they needed to wait a little bit because we're so accustomed to going on our fucking phones, being on TikTok and Instagram, and you, you look at the next thing over and you know you go to you go to the next one so fast. The next video or the next meme or whatever the fuck. I, I kinda liked that kind of part of it. Like I don't know, I just I liked that it was so chaotic and so fast. I, I just kinda was like the whole movie's my favorite i guess <laughs> like the whole thing yeah. i, I like I, I guess yeah i also i had favorite characters from each one but yeah i don't know like I, I it's probably a basic answer but yeah i really dug them all
1: no i mean i think that's fair because and you know like you said despite them being so different and you know literally different director teams and stuff like that they all feel of a piece to the point where you know when there will be the the rising action and it'll be cutting between the different ones it'll be kind of like the same like there's an escape scene happening and it's like the old people are escaping the home but then it's at the same time the duna bay character is in the future like on that little like like extendable ramp thing while the like the plane is shooting at her and like every, it's all kind of coming together and one, uh, you know, I think probably you mentioned favorite characters. I definitely had some favorite characters too. And Me like I think Donna Bay is is so so like incredible in this. She and I know mm-hmm. she shows up in Sensei Eight too. Um, and look, at the Kowalskis kind of I, I know they have a lot of their favorite players. Like you, obviously, you get Hugo Weaving back in this, who had been in the Matrix films, and a lot of people who are in Sensei uh are in this too, mm-hmm. and, including her, I believe. And she is just phenomenal. And I think it's at the end when most of the storylines have kind of concluded and wrapped up and you still get like little pieces of each of them. So it, it does still feel like, you know, you said one thing, but the moment that really stitches them together the best for me out of the whole film has to be when she's being read her last rights, uh, soon me is. And you have the James Darcy character who learned that he has, you know, in the course of this film, he has had this great love that he presumably still like 40 years later still loves. And cause you talk about how like somebody mentions earlier that like death for him, he believes that love can live on after death and his, his great love died 40 years ago. Uh, And then you have Sunmi saying to him, I'm still in love with this guy who died. And then he has the moment like, like you believe in like a heaven or hell. And she believes, I believe there will be a next place. And I believe like a door will open. I'll see him again. And then it, it cuts to the Pacific Island story. And this whole time you've been hearing about this guy, Adam Ewing, wanting to get back to his love, his, his great his wife, his like great love. And you haven't really seen her. You've seen maybe like a scratching of her, but they've been very smartly not showing you who that character is. And then when you see it's her, played by Donna Bay again, it hit me. It really like I got emotional because mm-hmm. and it's like the door opens and then he literally is there. And you've seen these great love stories play out in multiple lives in multiple timelines. And it reminded me a lot of um, a movie that came out this year that I really liked called past lives. I feel like it's a very, very different movie, but kind of draws on the same themes. And it's, they talk about like more hypothetically and stuff, but like, what if we are living our past lives and we'll meet in a future life and all that stuff. And when they just like run and are reunited, It just it feels so euphoric that Mm. that was for me, my favorite part of the whole movie. It was a great way to end end a lot of the like intertwined stuff um, as the movie was kind of wrapping up. Do, Do you have any favorite moments or things that really hit you like that?
0: Now, now that you bring that up, I guess my favorite ending to a story is, of course, it's the most tragic one. It's <laughs> I love how you're like, oh, you know, I love that the romance and everything, but for me, I love the tragedy of it all. And it's been Wishaw's uh, composer character,
1: mm-hmm.
0: and his ending was just perfect sadness. I don't know. I love tragedy. I love when it's like that because, like, you when he's reading his letters to his lover. They're, they're just so beautiful and they're so romantic and he's just like i loved you and I'm like he's like i remember when i had my last cigarette it reminds me of the time we were like under the stars and we had our first kiss or something and he's like and when he's saying that he's like in the bathtub ready to put the gun in his mouth and i just thought i was like man this is so like it's so romantic and then his lover's running up the stairs and he sees tom hanks character with the uh, the waistcoat And he's just like, oh fuck! Like you can see in his eyes that he's like something's wrong, and he's running up. And unfortunately, the gunshot goes off, goes inside the room, and he finds him dead. And you're just like, fuck! It's like that. It's that like he was almost there. He could have almost saved him. He probably could have stopped him. But I just, I don't know. It just hit me in the feels, and and it got me so upset. But at the same time, I just it's kind of how like i love horror movies so much i love i, I told my girlfriend this all the time i'm like i need the fear the fear is like the perfect seasoning i need that to enjoy a story sometimes for like horror but sometimes when it's a film like this when there's tragedy that's the perfect seasoning for me where i'm like oh yeah that's delicious it's sad but it just hits so well for me and i was like oh i love it it's I know it's fucked up, but I just I just no. love that tragedy. Like, it's just like, oh, dude, you were fucking there. Like, ah, oh, and you wrote this beautiful piece that, like, transcended, like, time, you know? Like, it's going throughout the movie and everything, and, like, oh, it was so good. I think, yeah, that, you know what? I think that might be my favorite. I think yeah. that's the one.
1: And that, that's too, speaks to what you were saying earlier about, like, how you, it's it's hard to have a favorite car because it's all one thing, because, like, that scene you mentioned, I think, like it leads, to like, because I started getting very emotional, that, and then that leads directly into the scene that, like, both of those scenes are connected, and both of them are connected by James Darcy, who, like, if you don't have that same character playing that part of, like, this is this guy who's like held his boyfriend's head as he, like, was dead and he cradled him, it doesn't mm-hmm. hit. And then that leads, like, and then you have the Jim Broadbent connecting with Susan Sarandon in, in, mixed in there too. And then it all ends with that epilogue of Tom Hanks and Halle Berry in the further future. So like it's, it's, they all are all these great scenes, which like work really well individually are all pieces of this whole in the same way that, yeah, like once again, humanity is all just pieces of a whole. And that line that they mentioned two or three times, our lives are not our own. We are all connected these by these invisible strings And these moments that we think that we might just be nothing or that might not matter. They are all connecting everyone. And there's these things that make two people that might not ever think that they are going to ever cross paths, like intrinsically linked. And I think that's what this film does so spectacularly. And to one more thing, I just wanted to say like the music, you mentioned the music and uh, I, it's it's one thing, it's interesting because in the book it's like, and this is, I read it like a little piece that the original author David Mitchell wrote for Wall Street Journal back when this was coming out about how basically how he thought this was unfilmable and how hard it would be and one of the things is like, it's easy for me to write he wrote a piece of music that was transcendent and amazing and incredible and mm-hmm. and, and then, it, and you're like, okay, cool And but it's another thing to actually have to like write that and hear it because there's like you have to do that in a movie and not only did they do that, like it's a really great piece of music, but it's written by Tom Twilliker. Like Tom Twilliker was like, oh yeah, I'll just direct this movie and I'll write this piece, which is like supposed to be like, tr- it's like in the great Gatsby when F. Scott Fitzgerald is like he had a look on his face that it could only ever happen. Like twice in the history of a person's life or something. You're like, how do you act that? And it's the same thing with this. It's like, how do you write that music? But they do it. They, and I, cause I keep, I've listened to this score multiple times for the past couple days. I, I don't know what do you think about? Uh, do you think it's like a good score or I think it's a good
0: score? I think I mean, again, it's hard, man, because like mm-hmm. when you bring that up, it reminds me of this. uh I haven't seen it in like 20 years. There was this Japanese movie. It adapted a manga called Beck. Mm-hmm. And the manga was about a band, like just you know, band, you know, Japanese band or rock band, whatever, et cetera trying to get big and obviously when you read the manga you don't you know you just see them playing and you're like you're assuming that their, are the music's great or whatever and similar to like scott pilgrim like scott pilgrim you mm-hmm. read the comic book you're just assuming it's great and then and this is this movie came out even i think before beck or before scott pilgrim and i think the director just said you know what fuck it and he took a huge risk and i think he just played nothing. I think he told his composers, "Don't make any music for when they're playing." Mm-hmm. And and I remember this scene of one the, the character, the, the singer, or whatever. He's like playing on the guitar, and he's like just going hard, but it's silence. You don't hear anything. The crowd's like tributing by wild. Jack
1: Black. Or yeah, exactly. Or, yeah. yeah,
0: exactly. Like the Tenacious D. It's just that like you just kind of have to imagine it. It's a big risk because. Your audience is gonna be like, Oh what the fuck? Like, I don't know, and, and you kinda have to tell your audience, well, like imagine it, I guess. And you're like, Fuck, how do I do that? Like I don't I don't know. And it's like, well the, that's your imagination, you gotta figure it out. So it is very hard. And and I and I dug it, but yeah, again, it's so hard to do something like that. I think it's rare. Like I think Scott Pilgrim, you know, Edgar Wright coincidentally have got Beck to write the music and the manga (laughs) is not nothing to do with Beck. I don't know why it was called Beck. Just purely coincidence, but yeah, I mean, I feel like that movie got the music really well done. It just fucking fit, especially because I I saw it at the perfect age of like 20 years old. So I was like, yeah, this is fucking rad, you know, Mm -hmm. but for this film, yeah, it's, it's so hard to do because you have to make it, sound good from when it's written all the way into the future and when it's replayed when Ben Wishaw's characters in the in the record store it's like, yeah, I've been listening to it all the time. Like you have to make it memorable enough for like Halle Berry's character is is like, oh yeah, I know this one, I know it. And it's a huge task. I Mm -hmm. would have liked Hans Zimmer to maybe have done the score just to mm. see how he would have done it.
1: Yeah. Because the yeah. score is good. He's it's the GOAT. Good. He is the GOAT.
0: Exactly. He's, he's GOAT. No he's, offense he's, to he's John good. Williams. Yeah, no. I'm, I'm, they're both up there. They're both <laughs> yeah, up there. Yeah. I love both of them. I, I would have loved to hear. I fuck. Well, I don't know if John Williams would have been able. I think his would have been too epic. But I think Hans Zimmer would have been like the perfect. Like, he, he yeah. could figure it out. Or just get John Carpenter and just make it a fucking synthesizer. Just make it super like, like
1: three notes. <laughs> yeah, three notes.
0: Da, 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 and it's like, oh, I got it. It transcends time and <laughs> reincarnation and everything. It is just fucking the Halloween 3 theme. <laughs> but uh, yeah, no, I, I would have, you know, would have been really sick if they were able to, again, like you said, it's an indie movie, so it's a lot of money. But it would have been kind of cool to get like a couple of composers to just kind of like sit down and. Like Hans Zimmer, you know, John Williams, the one that, I forgot his name, was his name, Tyler, the composer for this one?
1: Oh, Tom Twilliker. So he's, like, the director also composed it. And I, he did work with two other people, too. Um, oh, yeah.
0: But, like, imagine just having, like, big guys all being, like, all right, let's yeah. figure this out kind of thing. Would have been pretty interesting, like, just a collaboration. Because, I mean, that's the whole thing with Ben Whishaw's character and then um Vivian being like, "Oh, we collaborated on it, kind of thing," which it kind of was, up until Vivian's fucking scumbag about it. But <laughs> yeah, I, it's but yeah, you know, I applaud them for it, and I, and I applaud him for doing his best for it because it's it's very hard to, like you said, it's from the text, so it's like,
1: mm-hmm.
0: this sounds really fucking cool, and you're like, oh, okay,
1: <laughs> I got to figure that out, right? And I think that really speaks to just the ambition of this movie because yeah that's just one piece of them just being like yeah we're just gonna make this like fucking insane epic of a movie that is gonna be like it's gonna be everything and just the audacity of just like yeah we're gonna do it all we're gonna like we're gonna like i i really do think this might be the most ambitious movie ever made because of all the things it tries to attack like i i was i wrote down what i think all the six genres are, that it flawlessly, in my opinion, goes back and forth between. I think it's historical, epic, costume drama, spy thriller, British farce, farce action sci-fi, and then like a post-apocalyptic story. And I think it just weaves back and forth between all six of those uh, with such skill. And I think that that's why, because it's so ambitious, because it was trying to achieve so much, I always will respect a movie like that. And I think that the first movie we ever talked about ununderrated was way back in the day um was speed racer you know this Mm -hmm. wachowski's film right before this and i think that they are always doing these big swings ambitious movies even like jupiter ascending which i don't think worked for a lot of people parts of it didn't really work for me um i don't think it's a great movie but i respect the hell out of that movie because they were really just we're gonna go for it and they always do that they always even with their most recent matrix movie they were just like it it didn't work for me all the parts but it, god they were they were trying to do something different and weird and really bold and interesting and whenever you do that i think it will be very very divisive because for people like me and like a lot of other like this was on a lot of critics like top 10 lists and stuff like that it was like people like a lot of people really liked it but at the same time a lot of people really st- did not like it. a lot of people really hated this movie almost as strongly to the point where like, you know, we talked about how it had a rough, very rough box office. It, it lost a lot of money. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Part of that seems maybe they apparently like it might've been like, there was like this really gnarly storm on the East coast and like nobody could get to the movie theater for like a week or something like that. But I also think, yeah, it was just because it was so big and people were like, what even is this? Um, But also there was a couple reputable, journals and like magazines and stuff that named it if not one of the worst the worst movie of the year including time fucking magazine named this is the worst movie of 2012 which is first of all i kind of hate best of or worst of movie lists best movie lists are great worst of movie lists i think it's just just like fuck that fuck that like i hate those vibes like it's just like you know what people worked hard on this movie it didn't work for you but whatever but like just to put that in context that they named this the worst movie of 2012. Some other movies that came out in 2012 are That's My Boy, The Last Twilight Movie, House at the End of the Street, Battleship, uh, Abraham Lincoln Vampire Hunter, Journey 2, The Mysterious Island, and Beverly Hills Chihuahua 3, uh, and Taken 2. So you're telling me that this movie is worse than fucking Taken 2.
0: I mean... Beverly Hills Chihuahua deserves
1: there. Beverly Hills Chihuahua be 3,
0: but there's all of them fucked the up. I never seen like shit. But Cloud Atlas does not deserve there. Does not even exist around that. That's fucking insane, dude. Like that's it's just wild to me. because I remember when it came out, I I thought it had like a like a I thought maybe it was mixed at most. Like I thought maybe people were like, "You know what?" i think it's pretty good and other people might have been like you know what i just didn't get it which is Mm -hmm. completely understandable like yeah i get it you know because it's a it it is a movie you need to rewatch but like to be compared to beverly hills chihuahua 3 get the fuck out of town that's (laughs) fucking ridiculous like taking whatever fine what what, what was the other ones um journey Uh, to a lot of them sound like popcorn movies fuck it
1: yeah, I just went on Letterboxd and looked up my le- my lowest rated films from that year and just lowest rated overall films from that year because
0: there's always going to be bad
1: films every year, you know?
0: I really wonder what I have there. I'll check it later. But that's fucking wild to believe. But you know what though? 2012 I remember everybody fucking hated everything that year.
1: Yeah, And I think it's a good year. I think it's a solid year for movies to be honest.
0: Yeah, I remember Dark Knight Rises came out and fucking everybody was shitting on that and I was like the fuck? Where'd this come from? Mm-hmm. And then uh, what else was out? There was some more stuff that came out there. Where uh, oh, I think Avengers was the only thing people were like masterpiece, which yeah. was a, it was a great you know start to all that. That's fucking wild though, dude. I there's no fucking way. Like it's, an I, I really think it's just, and we weren't even into the heavy part of the MCU, where like from 2012 to like maybe. Just a couple of years ago, people were just like, anything the MCU does is fucking gold kind of thing. Hmm. Like we were still like right before that. So it boggles my mind that people would be like, yeah, this shit was fucking trash. And like, like it went fucking hard for, for what it is. Like, it's just like, it's just, like you said, it, it really, really swung for the fences. And for me personally, I thought, I think it hit a home run. I think it's a phenomenal film.
1: I, thank you. I, I'm glad you agree because, like, I completely agree. I think this, like, I going into this, I was like, "Is this film like as good as I remember?" And then I watched it, and I was like, "No, it's better than I remember." This film's a fucking like stone cold masterpiece for me.
0: I agree. Yeah, honestly, yeah. Like when I was getting, when I was starting it earlier, I was just kind of like, like I said, I didn't hate it when I finished it the first when mm-hmm. I saw it in theaters. I was just like, "All right," I I, I didn't want to talk shit, or but I didn't also not. I want to praise it i was just like i need to see it again i want to give it another try i want to be fair and i never got around to it but this i'm actually sitting down and re-watching and i was like oh fuck, dude like this shit is dope you really got to give it a chance and i think now i hope this movie gets put on like streaming it's on streaming but you have to like rent it and all that but i hope maybe gets put on like free streaming like netflix or whatever and gives people a chance to like give it a try, especially now with everybody being able to like binge so much shows. Cause I think right when this came out, right, that's where like the big binging boom happened from like 2010 to 2012. That was like the t- transitionary period mm-hmm. of people like going, oh dude, I'm watching fucking Lilyhammer, whatever the fuck, and like <laughs> just dude, whatever the fuck was around at that time, like kind of binging stuff little by little. And they're like, you know, Sherlock just popped up. And people were like, this Sherlock show is pretty fucking good. Like, it just showed up, I don't know, for us here in the States. And it was like, okay. And that's when people started binging. I think if they release it now and just maybe even cut it up into three episodes on Netflix or something, I think it would get a lot of, a lot of people following it. I think a lot of people would appreciate it more. Because it really is that type of film you got to like, you can like sit down and binge it kind of thing. I think it's just when it came out, it was just, it was just too long for people. I think at the time, a lot of people were like, I like my like movies an hour to two hours tops.
1: But yeah, what you're saying, you know, I think that, yeah, 2012 was like the year, like you said, the dark Knight trilogy wrapped up. It was the first Avengers film. And I, I think that if this movie were to come out now, a lot of those same critics, like time, I think that like time magazine and a lot of these places that, shit on it would be like oh my god this film's a revelation because now all those places are like you know what they have a, they're they're right about this where they're like all the movies all the big blockbusters are like part of these franchises they're based superhero mm-hmm. ones or they're like video game ones or they're reboots of things from the 80s or whatever all the big like they're just like another Tom Cruise movie and like the mission of like, there are all these big franchises that have existed for 15 years. There's not any like original stuff. Like it's kind of all those big budget movies have really gone away. So like, I think that if you saw a movie that was ambitious with scope and talent behind it and all that, that came out today, time magazine and all these guys would be praising the fuck out of it. But I think at the time being ambitious was almost like a bad thing to them because Mm -hmm. you know what? Because I said, you know what their their second worst movie they named was because it was another very very ambitious movie and it's one we covered back in the day. Uh, which one? John Carter, which is not as good as this That's movie, right? But, right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's another really fucking ambitious movie where that is trying to be different and big and bold, and it's not based on another franchise. It's it's just like this. They spent a lot of money to like make this thing and. Rather than being like, okay, wow, this was cool. It didn't work for me. I didn't like these things about it, but I respect it. They're like, worst movie of the year. Fuck that.
0: Yeah, it's so funny because I feel like a lot of those people nowadays, like like you said, they're going to look at everything that's out right now. Superhero fatigue, fucking Marvel's bringing something out every other minute. Star Wars is bringing something out. As much as I love them, don't get me wrong. Yeah. DC legacy sequels fucking everyone's making something like there's just uh, right now five nights of freddy's just fucking came out and now it's (laughs) like killing it at the box office and i'm just like okay cool you know yeah sweet but it's it's always kind of the same thing where it's like if yeah you're right if this had came out maybe this year even last year i think a lot of people would have been like fuck yeah something fresh something different something like with big scope and yeah, I think it would have flourished a lot better. I I even think if the Wachowskis decided they hadn't made it back then, and we're like, we're gonna make it now with all the same actors and everything. They're all still around. Everything's great, and did that instead of Matrix Four. I think it would have done way fucking better than Matrix Four.
1: Yeah, yeah. Unfortunately, like the Wachowskis, they got their like they like got their like Blake Check from the Matrix movies, and then they were just like they made a bunch of movies that I res- like, I think two of them are. Two of my favorite films of all time, and another one I respect a lot, which is we've mentioned him, Speed Racer, this one, and Jupiter Ascending, and they all lost a shit ton of money, and then they kind of put the Wachowskis in director jail, and basically mm-hmm. the only way uh, for for them to get out was making another Matrix movie, so mm-hmm. which only one of them ended up doing, um, and the other one is is, is essentially uh, retired now. So yeah, Lana, who made the Matrix Resurrections, so it's that's it's a right. shame. Yeah,
0: I I yeah. remember seeing the credits, just having one, but yeah, it's a shame, man. Like, I I feel like uh, it just sucks. It just sucks that like yeah, they got put in director jail because like they have ideas. I think it's just what sucks is that the Matrix was just the perfect fucking timing. It was perfect fucking timing. Lightning in a Bottle. It came out exactly when it needed to. The whole fucking aesthetic of that first Matrix movie is late '90s, early '2000s, fucking black leather vibe, fucking industrial music, hacking computers, everything. Like that was literally just the perfect timing. And what sucks is that all these other films, I think, just came out right, right before or right after they were supposed to yeah like it boggles my fucking mind that speed racer wasn't as fucking huge as it should have been because even when i saw it and everybody i went to go watch it with like you know go back episode one you you guys hear me say this over there we all had a fucking blast we all thought this was going to be like fucking what was it like 2008 it came out we thought it was going to be like probably one of the top best films of the year like top grossing i mean it wasn't going to be dark Knight. But we were like, it's gonna be fucking up there because it was hype as fuck, and, and I think it might have just came out a little too early. I bet if it came out early 2010s, it would have fucking killed it.
1: Yeah, I, that's and that yeah, that,
0: yeah,
1: yeah. I think that's something. Yeah, we were saying definitely about Speed Racer, and I think it it applies here is that yeah, just so, sometimes the timing on these things is is just so important, and unfortunately, you know, the Wachowskis have had rough luck when it's come to that, because I think they are true visionaries, honestly. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, I, well, I wanted to ask you about something you, you said earlier, that we kind of went on a lot of different courses, but you mentioned that you had a couple favorite characters from this movie. Who who were some of your favorites?
0: Uh, first one, Hugh Grant. As a cannibal, I like, I like the... <laughs> Ben Whishaw is the composer. I liked... Uh, I forgot her name. Something Bay?
1: Uh, Donna Bay, yeah.
0: Donna Bay. She was phenomenal in the Neo Soul.
1: hmm
0: I think in the British farce, I liked... Uh, there was a lot in that one. A lot of them were really great. Yeah. The main guy, Hugh Grant again in that. And then I liked... Jim Sturgis as like the Scottish uh, hooligan. <laughs> yeah. And then there was somebody else in that one. Oh, Tom Hanks, Tom Hanks character in that one, the 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 guy who wrote the the Knuckle Sandwich book. Oh yeah, he he fucking. I I was really upset the first time I saw it because he kind of stole the show, and then he fucking disappeared. And I was like, oh man. Even though his acting, you know, his accent wasn't the best, I was <laughs> like, dude, that shit was pretty funny. What else is there? Uh, Halle Berry killed it in the in her. Uh, like seventies one, Keith David was really good in that one as well. Hugo Weaving, I think, was great and fucking everything. Yeah, like he was phenomenal in everything.
1: It's like and different. He's sinister in each of them, but it's like a different kind of sinister each time. You know, like in yeah. one of them, he's like he's like doing he's almost like doing like Agent Smith in one of them, and then he's like doing like V for is V for Vendetta character another, and then he's like basically being Nurse Ratchet in the farthest one. It's God, it's so he's so good.
0: The speech he does at the end of the Pacific Island one was straight out of the Matrix. I feel like <laughs> the Wachowskis are like, "You did great on this. You great did great as this." Da da da. But at that last final fucking scene, right when Jim Sturgess's character is like, "You know, fuck this. I'm not going to do this." Throws the thing in the fire. He has a speech just right out of the Matrix. Like just like, what the fuck are you doing? Like, you know, I thought I thought he was just gonna be like the smell. I hate this smell. I need to leave or whatever. You know, the whole fucking monologue of the Matrix. But yeah, he was fucking great. But yeah, I think absolute favorite character has to be Oh, it's so tough. I think it's Ben Wishaw as a composer. I think that one had to be yeah. my favorite.
1: Yeah, what about he, you? He, he, He's pretty great. He, I like him a lot. I think, though, for me, so yeah, Robert Frobisher is that character's name, by the way. Mm-hmm. But yeah, like all the ones you've mentioned are pretty great. I think I, I really my favorites are Adam Ewing, you know, so the the main character in the Pacific Island ones, uh, the Jim Sturz character, and then the Donna Bay Somni Four Five One character in Neo Soul. And so I think that, you know, I just love both of them. And so I think that's even more why that ending that kind of linked them and their, like, past lives intertwined love story worked even more. And there's, like, there's even more little moments that just tie those characters together so cool. Like, I don't know if you noticed in the credits, but as they mixed in Sixsmith's niece, and she has, like, a picture that you see for, like, a split second. A fucking split second, and it's the two of them that play your parents. Yeah,
0: dude. What the fuck? I was like, when did this happen? Like, I was so confused. And then, thank you for bringing that up because I was just like, did I miss that or what the fuck? But yeah, okay, that's where it was.
1: Yeah, just the amount of just insane stuff they are able to slip in that movie and to make you resonate with these characters and these characters that go on arcs that you know over multiple lives or reincarnations or however you want to take it over hundreds of years how you know tom hanks starts as this insane murderer and then he becomes a guy who's like pushes somebody out a window you know that great part and then uh then he ends up going on that arc that he goes through on on the big island in the the post-apocalyptic future in the true true when he 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 becomes the main character and goes on this quest and helps you know save Halle berry and all of her people and then also just. I love that the way Hugo weaving, just, and it's like that. That's another wrinkle. It's like, is this past lives or what is this? How Hugo weaving like plays a figment of his imagination. Like, I think that was so. And he's just like, oh, old Georgia here. Like, mm-hmm. whatever the fuck he's doing. I just, I just love. I don't know, man. I, I, I got to I rewatch. Wondering,
0: this again. I was wondering if Hugo Weaving's character in that one is old George or something like that, right? Old Georgie. Old Georgie. I, I thought maybe he was like someone his character knew or something mm. maybe someone he thought like maybe that character died or something and he was someone so important to him where like he kind of used them as his like conscience almost that's
1: like the template for like what he imagines the devil to be yeah
0: exactly so i was like maybe he knew him cuz i was like i don't want it to be that like cuz i like the idea that everyone was a past or future life mm-hmm. so i kind of kept thinking because like the when when he sees him the first time he's like oh georgie like it was like it was like oh god i know that guy so mm-hmm. i was like i was like i wonder if it's somebody he knew at one point in time and that guy died or something or whatever and he just used that as like his like like you said like his devil on his shoulder kind of thing so yeah, I, I like to believe that person was alive and he was just like a scumbag, but for some reason, because it, it kind of makes me think maybe he kind of taught Tom Hanks' character to be like, you know, look out for yourself or whatever, and that's why he hides behind the rock and Jim Surge's character die, gets murdered. And I feel like he's always kind of had that as like, well, oh, he's taking care of me, I survived. And now even having him as my like, my morality kind of thing, Is maybe it evil it's good. Cricket exactly yeah exactly yeah well he has the fucking top hat. you're right yeah (laughs) so that makes sense yeah yeah yeah
1: and i and that's one thing i love too is that is open to interpretations like that because that's a completely valid interpretation i never would have thought of that though you know and because they they don't say like oh this is these are definitely past lives or like they're all like different versions like the they all have that star the jojo star or whatever and Mm -hmm. they keep you know or is that the same person? But you're like, that doesn't line up either necessarily because, and I guess which, that's more of what, because that's how I took it when I first saw the movie. It was like, oh, the main character is always is the one who's getting reincarnated. And then these other people around him are like other versions of himself or like related to past versions of himself. It's kind of how I took it. but it does, that does, And that's apparently how the book was, ex, except for like one person, which I guess would probably have to be the Timothy Cavendish because the... Ages don't line up at all, but he also has the star too. So it's like, it's, 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 it leaves things open to interpretation like that. And it's, it's vague, isn't the right word more of just like, I can't even think of the word, but just, well, uh,
0: cause the way I thought about the, the one thing mm-hmm. that would have made me kind of laugh and I thought would have been kind of funny is if like at one point, cause you know, they're all reincarnated. Mm-hmm. And in, in some religions, it's believed like, you know, if you're a horrible fucking person, you'll come back as a cockroach or something. And then if you're a great person, you'll come back as a cow in India or something. Mm-hmm. So you're going to be taken care of and everything. So I kind of thought of it as like, you know, like, I think the big one they were trying to trying to get get into you was Jim Sergis' hooligan character from the British farce of being like, He's not really connected to anything. It's just purely coincidence that his reincarnated life was there. And I kind of thought of that as like, yeah, that would make perfect sense of like, yeah, somehow they're connected. Just like, just like a little similarly to Jojo's Bizarre Adventure. In in Jojo's Bizarre Adventure, they have powers called stands. And stand users typically somehow always run into each other. It's just what happens they're always going to run into each other. So I thought of it as, as a sense of like, even though they're all connected throughout their lives and time, maybe they're not always going to be connected directly. Maybe just like the, the, the publisher character was like, I never ran into this Jim Sturgis dude my whole fucking life until like I'm old. And then Kegel mm-hmm. Weaving's character, you know, all that stuff. So I kind of thought of it as like, yeah, it can virtually happen any time it doesn't have to necessarily follow a certain flow because people are born every day every second and people die every day and every second so i kind of thought of it as like it's just random but these souls these lives will somehow cross paths even if it's just for like a moment at a bar watching the fucking rugby match or some shit yeah that's and- the way i thought of it
1: no, then that makes it, because it's like, yeah, I think I was trying where I was trying to think of it was more ambiguous, um, which I still think it is, but yeah, what you're saying makes sense, because it also reminded me of another show, you know, that's very big in my life, where it is also about these characters who have crossed over throughout their whole lives, and some of them have big connections, and some of them like, will show up for a second in each other's pasts, and then they're all get brought together, and that's lost, you know, they all are end up on this island together, but then Throughout, you know, the show's flashbacks, you'll be like, "Oh shit, that was Boone in the background of Jack's flashback, or that was Sawyer getting he he knew Jack's dad, who knew Anna Lucia. Like everyone was all connected, and they all kind of finally come together here at the end. But it's like maybe that they have they have all all these people who seem to have nothing to do with each other have actually been connected their entire lives, and it's all leading to this. You know, then they all are together on the island. That's what it reminded me of. But instead of just being like one life, it's like over lifetimes over reincarnations over all these different centuries of just intertwining and meeting here and it goes back to once again that movie i was talking about earlier past lives there's a part where they're talking about uh they use a specific term in it um which you know i can't remember off the top of my head but about like even if it's like yeah we met on like a subway and we like shook hands or something like that you know that's one thing and then we'll meet again in the next life and it'll be another thing and you know after a thousand times of meeting in our lives like we'll get married one day so that that's something that it hawk really Man reminded me of
0: that's uh yeah that's Hawkman and hawk girl they okay their whole their abilities are like they fucking die and they meet each other reincarnate blah blah blah. they're not my favorites but i that you kind of <laughs> remind me of that for a
1: second that's see it's good to have alan back because you can always we can go back to the underrated classics of me talking about lost and alan talking about dc it's <laughs> <Absolutely. laughs>
0: <laughs> where can i find it <laughs> you know what though this is i think the first time i've ever brought up jojo's bizarre adventure which i'm a huge fucking fan on and i'm a huge fan of and i'm very shocked i in all the fucking hundreds of episodes we've done i don't think i ever brought it up once I'm very. Shocked That's about true. That. Yeah,
1: I don't think you ever have. I've heard you bring it up in real life, and I've heard you like you've mentioned your cat JoJo, which is of course named after.
0: Yeah, he's named like, after the... uh, JoJo. Yeah. And I'm like, what the? F- well, hey, you know what? I'm glad this was the episode of bring It back.
1: Yeah, or, yeah. Bring it up. <laughs> yeah, I'm. I'm really glad. Yeah, that because you know, I was like, I always because when I started doing new new episodes on my own and having different guest hosts on, I was like. I was like, I got I got to save Cloud Atlas for Alan because I, I know Alan's going to be back at some point, and I I got to keep that one in my back pocket because I knew we would have a good discussion on it, and I think we really have because you've always got unique Absolutely. insights on these these especially these big swing movies that we do. I
0: just I just love it. I just love talking about it, and I love these types of movies. I, I feel like I don't like hating on films.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Like, you know, yes, there's a handful that I go, I really don't fucking like that. But most of the time I try and find joy out of everything I watch and be like, you know what? I like that. Even before we were recording Pope's Exorcist, or before we were recording, we were talking about Pope's Exorcist and like, I didn't hate it. I don't think I hated it. I was just like, yeah, it's all right. It's fine. You know, it's fun. You know, Russell Crow killed it or whatever. So when I see something like this, it's very ambitious and really aims for the fences kind of thing. I just go, man, it's. It's something you got to talk about. It's something you got to just be like, man, how the fuck like to not more people like this or, or why is it not in like, you know, the zeitgeist is so fucking good kind of thing. So, and and I just, I just want to appreciate all the people that worked on it. Filmmakers, the writers, producers, the cast and crew, everybody like, I'm like, man, like you guys really made something, you know?
1: Yeah, exactly. And I would rather watch a movie that is very ambitious and obviously one that works like this, but even one that doesn't work like Jupiter Ascending, I would much rather watch that than something that just plays it safe, plays it down the middle, like Mm -hmm. Five Nights at Freddy's or something like that, which is a movie that was totally fine. It was whatever. But, like, it's I would rather watch Jupiter Ascending any day of the week than that. And and because you have the potential, like five, Five Nights at Freddy's, I mean, if you're a fan and you love it, like, like good great i'm not trying to shit on it but like it's not like you're it's not okay that never... it, it, they're yeah. all
0: kids dude all the family <laughs> kids. True. anyways. uh <laughs> not shitting like... on the kids you know yeah. I'm just yeah you know i didn't see it you know i know I was, i'll i'll get to it I'm not, yeah. I'm not in a rush
1: but it's it's ne- that movie's never gonna be like a masterpiece but anytime mm-hmm. you're just like let's swing for the fences it's, it's always going to be a double. Like, to go back to your baseball terminology, that movie's always going to be a double. This movie, you can strike out, but maybe you'll get a home run, and this one absolutely was.
0: Absolutely, yeah. I mean, it's just like how, you know, I was telling you guys last year, when we had been ranking our films, there's, the you know, Terrifier 2. I was kind of, like, really excited to go see it, and I, I didn't think it would be, like, my number one. Like, it fucking shot up, because all of the while, yes, it wasn't, like different or anything like that, but I just was impressed by how just these filmmakers with a small budget were able to be like, we're gonna go fucking hard because I appreciate what they knew. They were like, we know makeup, we know gore, we know slashers, we know horror, and that's what we're gonna focus on. And we're gonna go fucking hard. And they fucking did. And they knocked it out of the park with it. Yeah. Some people are going to be like, acting's kind of shitty. It's a very, you know, nothing new. But I just go, dude, but they fucking tried. And that's something I give so much props to is when the filmmakers are like, we're going to fucking go ham on this, dude. Just like this film. You know, no offense to Five Nights at Freddy's or anything like that. And even then, it has its haters that are like, oh, I wish it was like the fucking games. The fucking games are staring at a fucking screen the whole (laughs) time. I don't know what the fuck you guys wanted. Just a guy staring at a fucking security camera cool that's fine but you know again no offense to that but like they already had the source material right there and they're like we just got to do this this and this and i applaud them they did a great job they're doing great at the box office happy for them but this film cloud atlas really was like let's fucking do something new six stories actors being used all this makeup you know hit or miss makeup whatever you want to call it it's still so impressive that they went out of their way to make something so big that wasn't based on a comic book property, not based on a video game or a legacy sequel, nothing like that. They're like, "Yes, it's based on a book, and that's it." That's mm-hmm. what we're going fucking with. So you, yeah. you got to plot it.
1: Yeah, I absolutely, and yeah, I mean, I can't put it better than that. So, I mean, before we wrap up, any any final thoughts? Anything you wanted to talk about that we didn't mention uh, about Cloud Atlas?
0: No, 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 I think I, I think I'm good. I think I feel like I, I've said a lot about it.
1: Yeah, yeah. There's a there's a lot to say, and it. I, and like I said, I think this is a movie that really benefits from rewatches. because mm-hmm. I remember watching it and I was like, "Cool, I need to go watch this again." You, and you said this. I know you said the same thing. It's like cause it is a movie that you like pick up on. So even like little things. One I was going to mention that I forgot to mention is like there's this point when it's like a joke in farce time where he goes. Soylent Green is people! You know, which is like, ah, oh, it's like a British farts. It's referencing this, like, British movie, and he's like, oh, you're like, you know, it's like, you're pod people, whatever. But then that comes back in, like, a way where it's like, oh, they're doing this Soylent Green thing because they're feeding, uh, I forget the name of the replicants. Yeah, oh my god, the that's replicants.
0: right. Holy shit.
1: Yeah, and it's yeah she, I, she, I she never even said that before. she's
0: like, they're feeding us, they're feeding us to ourselves. Holy shit. See, and that's another beautiful part of it. Is that, like, It's a great discussion film. It's an absolutely wonderful discussion Mm -hmm. film because you would pick up on something and then someone else would pick up on something. And that's that's the fun of it. I feel like one of the best things about film is like talking about them at the end of the day. That's why we all do this. That's why we all watch movies and watch TV and do these podcasts is because we love to talk about films. and, And when you have a film that has such a great replayability and such a great like... So many great topics to talk about. Like, oh, did you see this? Did you notice this? It's so much fun because you go, oh shit, I didn't see that. Like right now, this whole time when you were bringing all these things up, I was like, oh my god, dude, that didn't even click. I didn't even think about that. You know, like, and real fast, like I know again. I'm sorry, I'm not trying to shit on Five Nights at Freddy's, (laughs) and I get it. You know, when you go watch it, you know the 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 gamers, the, the people who are really into it, they're gonna be like, oh fuck, that's fucking Freddy Fozzie Bear, and that's fucking the chicken. I don't know what the fuck they are. <laughs> Willie, I, I Willie's Wonderland was the fucking shit. So I really love that movie. I thought that was a better one already. But anyways, yeah, and that's cool. That's cool to be like, hey, I saw that. I saw that. You know, you go watch a Marvel movie or Star Wars or something, and they're like, hey, he said the fucking thing from the comic or fucking, hey, in Star Wars he said, um, I love you. Yeah, I know, or whatever. It's fucking cool. That stuff's great. Don't get me wrong. I fucking live for that too. You know, I love it when they do little callbacks. But for me, that's kind of like the fast food of it. It's yeah. kind of like, oh, yeah, cool. You know, that's fun. But then with this, when you walk out of a movie and he goes, oh, my God, did you fucking notice this and this and this? When there's still things you haven't discovered that are brand fucking new and you say something and this person doesn't say something, it's so fucking fun, man. It, it makes it, it it makes the film even better.
1: Yeah, it even really adds a layer. Out. Yeah. Yeah, like, because I remember watching this movie, like, back in the day, and just, my friends would, would talk about, like, what do you think this was, and this person came back here, but well, what was this, like, just, it, it's it's so, so rewarding to have a film that lets you, that is not just so service level like that, where there's all these details that really, it does. it's not just like, okay, cool, here's, let's eat some popcorn and watch it, and then not think about it again, it's a film that makes you think, about your like entire fucking life afterward Mm -hmm. and talk about everything that you just spent the last three hours watching a big screen. So that's the power of cinema, honestly.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. I, I'm trying to think of it. Oh, um, fucking, uh, back to the future too, real fast, just to kind of bring it back. I, I, the the beauty about replayability is this was obvious to a lot of people, but it took me like fucking 10 years to figure it out. and, And just real fast. I Mm. had seen that trilogy so many fucking times. It's my favorite trilogy of all time. And not until like I was in my late teens, Marty McFly's daughter, back to the future Two, I didn't know it was played by Michael J. Fox (laughs) for the longest time. And like, he even does this thing in the movie where he's like, mom, like he just does this. Like (laughs) it's very obvious to the camera like going, hey, that's Michael J. Fox, and for some fucking reason, I never it never clicked, and I was like, oh shit, that's him. And they
1: that's
0: needed the, to. <laughs> I'm sorry, but, 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 but yeah. that's the beauty of cinema, especially something like that, where like you just go, oh shit, I didn't notice that, and this is my billionth time watching that, they, and it's yeah. the same thing with this, yeah,
1: yeah. I was just gonna say they needed to have like a closing credits where they just do have like. How they had like Tom Hanks and they showed all the different people you played, just do that for Marty McFly, just like have mm-hmm. him like show all the different McFly family members.
0: Absolutely. I mean they they kinda did something like that in the game. The quote unquote back to Future Four type of game, but oh man. Yeah, that's but yeah, see that's the fun. Like you said, the fun of cinema is like rewatching stuff and just finding something new and be like, oh and discussing it. It's it's fun.
1: Yeah, it's it's a bla and that's that's why I fucking love doing the film podcast, you know. Uh and it's yeah, it's like missed having you on. Good to good to have you back and talking about all this stuff.
0: Thank you, No, It feels good to be back.
1: Yeah, and well since you're back, I had I was wondering, you know, because you you know I've had to be like Thanos and and do it myself recently, but do you have a question at the end here?
0: Oh my god, yeah. I hadn't forgot about that. A question? That's right. I had a lot of questions back then.
1: You were like the Riddler, or the the yeah, the Riddler you just had so yeah, many the questions. Yeah,
0: Um, I guess I didn't even think about it. I usually think about it on the fly, but like when we're discussing stuff. But oh man,
1: I can I can give you one. I can give you one if you want. Go for it. Yeah, yeah, yeah go All for right. it. All right. Um, so I was thinking. You know, we talked a lot about how this was a really big, uh, ambitious movie, like a big swing. And we've covered a few of them before, but do you have any other big swings that maybe we haven't talked about that you really love? Hmm.
0: Big swings.
1: Well, I'll give you one while you think. Yeah. Because we've covered a lot of these movies, you know, and there's some that, like, work in varying degrees, you know, like, I think Pan is kind of a mess, but it works. Pacific Rim is probably one of the most successful ones, I think, of these that was a really big swing. But I don't know if you saw this, but last year's... George Miller's uh, 3,000 Years of Longing. It's a really, really just bizarre, big swing of a movie that I'm I i I'm pretty mixed on. I, I probably should rewatch it again, but I do respect the hell out of the movie. Um, I haven't seen it. I would recommend I think you'd enjoy it. I'd be
0: going to check it out. Yeah, I've been trying to get back into it, trying to watch a lot of stuff. I guess it's do and they're they're doing well, but I I think it's a I think the idea of it being a big swing, or it has the idea of being a big swing was uh, uh, X and Pearl, where mm-hmm. um, oh my a uh, Ty West Ty West he kind of like disguised you know he's like I'm gonna do X or whatever, and then he kind of was like I'm actually gonna do two movies in one, which I thought was a fucking In that, just that concept of self is a big swing because like, Mm. I think Ty West is a great director. House of the Devil is a fucking great slow burn horror film and Keepers is pretty good too. But I thought him being like, I'm going to release two movies the same fucking year and they're going to be related. And he's like, I'm going to put X out first. And it did well. And I'm like, damn, that's a huge fucking gamble to be like. I already made two movies and I haven't even told anybody I made the second one yet. Which yeah. is a prequel, Pearl. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And, I still, and it's still also like going, going out of
0: his way... Uh, oh, dude, they're fucking great. I, but also to go out of his way and be like, X is a slasher, like a typical slasher movie and Pearl being like... They, they're The genres are slightly different.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Pearl being more of this like golden age character study a little bit slashery while like X is more of like a Texas chainsaw kind of slasher flick mm. and I loved Pearl Pearl actually made me fucking cry Pearl was so fucking good Mia Goth immediately went up in my like tier of like best actresses that I think for me those two the, the concept of being like I'm gonna make two movies that I think that's a huge swing and both yeah. doing very well and then now he's doing Maxine I think is phenomenal. Like I'm shocked. I'm like, damn, dude, you really, you really went all in.
1: Yeah, no, that's that. That's good. Yeah, that's a great answer. Honestly, I didn't, I would not have even have thought of that. But yeah, Alan, thank you, thank you for coming back and and coming back on the show and talking about this one with me. I I had a blast talking about this this underrated movie uh, waiting to do it. So I'm glad we we finally got the opportunity here to talk about it. I don't know, is the... I know you've been away for a minute. Is there anything you have been doing that you want to tell the listeners about or anything?
0: Not at all. I've been doing <laughs> shit. I've been just chilling. You know what? My October, I was like, I just want to watch horror movies. And that was it. Nothing That's crazy. Fair. Just working. But you know what? I'd be down to come back again, do another movie. Maybe in the future something's coming up. I've been, you know, man i've been thinking about it i'm not in a rush or anything i've just been kind of like i i've been trying to find my love again Mm. for movies because i feel like for a while i i couldn't watch as much as i wanted to because of like work and just life and everything and i had some health issues so i just wasn't really in the mood i think that's what kind of affected a lot of things but now i'm really just trying to get back into i'm just trying to be like i want to fall back in love with movies like i used to you know i never fell out but i just now want to really be like just want to just watch movies kind of thing i think that's all i'm trying to do
1: yeah for sure and you know you're you're definitely you're definitely going to be on back on i'm i'm sure at you know many many more times so you know yeah well this is this is definitely not the only time so where um, I'm excited, I'll probably pitch something after we stop recording here because I I have all I always plan things really far in advance and I have some ideas. But yeah, absolutely. But yeah, just to to wrap it up here, just for anybody who's listening. First of all, thank you all for listening. Should mention to all everyone that there is, of course, if you want to get any more info uh, about the show or check out any past episodes or anything, we're on all the spot or the po- podcast apps, Spotify, Apple back on youtube now got a youtube if you want to check that out it's underrated movie podcast just look that up anywhere underrated uh we've got a bunch of new stuff in the pipes actually uh the show is going to be kind of getting a bit of a rebrand uh starting on the new year starting as with the start of 2024 uh there's going to be kind of a new logo new artwork all that stuff uh it's just kind of time for the show to get a fresh coat of paint and yeah, uh, there's a Substack now and then of course uh, we've got the new Patreon um, which I should also mention uh, starting on the first of the year going to be getting an official title, Underrated Disc 2 that is where Infinity Stones and Dragon Bones is going to be living if you sign up for just a dollar a month you can get my MCU podcast there if you sign up for $3 you can also get another bonus podcast Underdogs, where once a month I talk about sports films and if you sign up for $5 a month you get all of that plus all the bonus videos and every all the other bonus stuff. And you'd also get to pick a movie for us to cover here on underrated every six months. So go ahead and sign up on under or patreon.com slash underrated movie podcast. Any of that sounds enticing to you. If not, you know, just, we appreciate you listening. If you can give us five stars, that that really helps the show out quite a bit. And then one other thing I just want to mention is that the show I'm going to be moving the date of the show from the switching Mondays essentially so there's going to be our Christmas episode to wrap up this year which will be covering uh, Anna and the Apocalypse had on art from a cozy Christmas podcast or we'll have on art from a cozy Christmas podcast to talk about the zombie Christmas musical which is a lot of fun and then uh, the Monday after that it's going to be the new, the new shiny paint of Underrated, and we'll be talking about a new movie or a movie on that day, so two days in a row, to kind of put us back on the original schedule that uh, Underrated used to come out for Shifted Way in the past, going back to those ori- that original Monday, and also because I do another movie podcast too. I do the movie podcast. It's called now the Midnight Film Society. So now I'll be on alternating Monday, so... One Monday will be underrated, and the Mondays without underrated. If you wanna, if you're not tired of listening to me, uh, you can listen to the Midnight Film Society, where me and Damien talk about more recent film news and film reviews and all that good stuff. But yeah, that's the that's the end of my long spiel. So thank you everyone for listening. Uh, and Alan, one more time, thank you again for coming back uh, on here with me. It's been a blast.
0: Absolutely, man. Thank you so much for having me and yeah well thank you so thank you so much everybody for listening and well take it easy
1: i'll see you uh, in another life.